I'm Dara Kalima, the community poet. And I am Tony Tuas, the entrepreneur poet. Join us for Word to Words, the poet's podcast where we two poets come together to share our love for words and those who use them creatively. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. And also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, all at Word to Words. And that's W-O-R-D, the number two, W-O-R-D-Z. So tune in so you will never miss a word from us. Hi there. My name is Mpo, the host of Journey with Mpo, a podcast show dedicated to the exploration of mental health challenges, spirituality, and poetry. The show consists of real-life stories from mental health survivors, spiritual healers, and artists who use their artistry to maintain a healthy life balance. Tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Podbean. Don't forget to review and subscribe. See you there. Yo, what up? It's your boy, God's Inc., host of the Words I Never Said podcast, a podcast specifically designed for poets like yourself. Come kick it with us on your favorite streaming platform weekly. Uh, We're going to talk to other poets. We're going to have spoken word tips. We're going to have jokes. Oh, yeah, yeah I, I definitely got some jokes for you. Come kick it with us, man. Sponsored by the Ink Magazine, the Words I Never Said podcast, specifically for poets. Yeah. Listening to the Ethically Immoral Podcast, Volume 3, Chapter Number 18. Peace and blessings, creatives, peace and blessings. My name is Mike Payne, and I am the caretaker of this very, very fine establishment. Thank you so much for joining me this week. I appreciate your conscious decision to do so. You can visit our website, ethicallyamoralpodcast.com, ethicallyamoralpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at ethicallyamoral, at ethicallyamoral on Instagram. You can also follow us on Twitter at The Mecca Lounge, at the Mecca Lounge on Twitter. You can like and follow us on Facebook at Ethically Immoral Podcast. At Ethically Immoral Podcast on Facebook. And if you have a question, a comment, a constructive criticism, and or and or a compliment. Feel free to email the program. Our email address is podcast at ethically or moral podcast.com. Podcast at ethically or moral podcast.com. All right, coming up, our exclusive conversation with poet, spoken word artist, writer, and entrepreneur, James Nguyen. But before we get into that enlightening conversation, I want to get into some recorded spoken word performances by fantastic performance poets. 
Again, my name is Mike Payne. I am the host here. Thank you so much for coming through. You are listening to the Ethically Immoral Podcast, Volume 3, Chapter Number 18. How's about a little poetry? So, for those that don't know, the word sapiosexual means to be attracted to intelligence, which I tend to be. So, this piece is called Sapiosexual. His depth was too shallow for me. I'm neither elitist nor bougie. I just know the capabilities I seek. I need an intellect that I can swim in. A spirit that's safe to dive in because I'm so much more than a body to come in. I'm sacred like temples too simple to walk through might be all right for you, but I need more than a kitty museum. I need James Baldwin and Vincent Van Gogh, the starry night, and how that might be some of the most beautiful imagery of the firmament that declares the divinity of Christ. And if I want to talk about how Zora Neale Hurston's use of the black common folk voice was just as important as the work of James Joyce, then I need someone who can do more than just listen. What can you... Teach me. Because I'm just as sapiosexual as I am hetero. I'm the type of chick that might ponder the spiritual implications of James Brown's political shift to the right and the damage that could have done to civil rights or to young black folks like Richard Wright's native son. Don't get me wrong. I like talking about silly things, too. And my favorite thing to do is nothing. I like existing quietly in the presence of someone my soul is at peace with. On the same bandwidth, my own personal gift from God, sapiosexual. That wasn't a gun, it was a wallet, my nigga. The cops done played target practice with a lot of my niggas, poured out liquor for a lot of my niggas, so much they bottled it, built a liquor store and put a fucking lottery in it. We in a lottery, nigga, for the lives of a lot of these niggas. They picking sevens and they scratching off a lot of these niggas. I done send birthday calls to parents with nothing but apologies, and I'm like, I'm sorry, Mr. Rainey, Sean Bell was going to marry your daughter, and you know I want to thank you for the way that she was brought up, and you know that I was smiling when you seen that car border, and you sent tears from heaven when you seen that boy get slaughtered, but how can Kanye complain about 
about what the accident did to his left eye. Because they shot that boy in his left eye. Let the slide right towards his right eye. He only fly in terms that he just died because the nurse cut right through his polo shirt like, motherfuck your fly. I'm trying to keep you alive. I'm going to be the one who got to tell your mother you just died. Went to school, became a nurse to only clean up niggas like you. Scared to have a son because he going to look like a nigga like you. And you want to know why educated motherfuckers don't come back to the hood because they sick of explaining niggas like you. Killed your ass. Killed your ass, but didn't even leave your timbles. You ain't died like a G, nigga. You tremble, but I'm the only one who saw that shit. Is this the price you gonna pay for no snitching? Because it ain't worth it. Monkeys only servants in this circus. And I know you didn't mean to kill him. But sometimes when you mix Hennessy, empty brown boys, and wheezy, somebody will be made fresh to death. Murder ain't always a decision. It's fear's lust for temptation. It's being too scared and dangerous for your own damn good or for your own fucking hood, but I know. I know black mothers don't raise their sons to be murderers just as much as I know they don't raise them to be murdered. They would never set them up that way. This world has given them nothing at all to lose and everything to prove. So they stand on the front lines naked, ready to make a man out of themselves with the only tools. Click clack, this world has ever given a nigga to use. But I know, I know black mothers don't breed hate and sin unto their firstborn men just as much as I know she not, did not choose for him to be a martyr for them. Can never tell a difference between the mother of the murdered and the mother of the murderer. Both shook and solemn, both eyes and memory blue and tint, both lost their grips when they lost their sons, developed a stutter in their palms. One became scared of her shadow while the other just became one. Someone's baby became a murderer last night and, and none of us remembered to cry for him, to pray for him, to ask God to take the hate and malice out of his heart, to ask him, boy, where'd you get all that hate from, all that culture from, all them damn guns, them damn guns from? Glock snapped it back like an old starter cap, bullets hit him a minute ago when he watched as his body kept bouncing. Take that boy to the hospital, way too much blood to take him home. Yes, Sonny, it really does damn near sound like a hip-hop song. And all, all we gave him was his Miranda rights and a couple of seconds left to plead for his life in front of a God in a world that he never thought loved him in the first place. A nigga, a nigga gotta ask us to have mercy on his soul when we never even taught him how to pray before. He's gonna have to remember all by himself that he has his daddy's eyes, his nana's smile, and that his grandfather wanted him to have a Muslim name, one that meant brown soldier boy, a mother. A mother is gonna have to find the audacity to not take down her son's picture when company comes over on the eves of Christmas nights. But, but even behind Christ on, on two crosses, one both on his left and his right were thieves and murderers of men. One of which leaned over and asked him, will you remember me when you reach your kingdom? So to the boys, the boys who've made chalk outlines of so many of my childhood friends, I know, I know, I know you didn't mean to kill them. And I love you and I forgive you because you know, I know a God whose mercy has already made room in his kingdom for even sinners like you.
All right, welcome back. So the first poem that you heard is entitled Sapiosexual, and that was performed by Alexis Henry. You can follow Alexis on Instagram at Caffeinated Living. Again, at Caffeinated Living on Instagram. You can also follow Alexis on Twitter at Woke Living. Again, at Woke Living on Twitter. And you can visit Alexis's website, caffeinatedliving.com. Again, caffeinatedliving.com. And then the second poem that you heard is entitled, I Know You Didn't Mean to Kill Him. And that was performed by Jasmine Manns. You can follow Jasmine on Instagram at Poet Jasmine Manns. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter at Poet Jasmine Manns. And you can visit Jasmine's website, jasminemans.com. Again, jasminemans.com. All right, so my guest this week is a Melbourne, Australia-based poet, spoken word artist, and writer. An entrepreneur since the age of 17, he has been a contributing writer for Forbes magazine and has been featured on CNBC, Sky, and ABC. I love, I love, I love the stories of creatives and how creativity influences the lives of those creatives. Uh, and this one is no different. Uh, so it is my pleasure and my honor to welcome to the podcast for the very first time, James Nguyen. Mike, my man, I'm excited to be here, dude. Man, I'm excited for you to be here. I've been looking forward to, uh, to this conversation since we, we set everything up. Yeah, man, when I uh, first uh, was made aware of you and I started to do uh, some research on you, I just loved your story, man. I love uh, the things that I found out about you and it 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 made me uh want to, want to have you here made me want to know more about you so i'm i'm excited to have you here and uh have our listeners get a chance to get to know you a little bit more so you started writing poetry early man like when you were eight years old but i also i, I heard that you uh mentioned that you're not necessarily from a maybe from an arts perspective a, a, a creative family so what was it that drew you into poetry? What, 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 uh, what or how did you get introduced to poetry? Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, yeah, it's crazy because when I was kind of reflecting back on my journey, I was like, yeah, I've been writing since I was like eight, you know, eight, nine, ten kind of thing. And back then it was just like, oh, I like the sound of like rhyming couplets. And I'd be like, mm. you know, I'd just be <laughs> creating rhymes based on like dogs or, you know, just random things as like a little kid. And I didn't think much of it at the time. And I remember back, like, it was Mother's Day and my mom's birthday and just, like, family birthdays and stuff. And, you know, I'd write cards in, like, rhymes. Or, you know, I remember giving my mom, like, a bookmark as a Mother's Day uh, present. And I wrote the whole, like, a whole poem and I printed it on a bookmark. And so, yeah, that was kind of my, like, first foray into it. But I, I didn't think much of it. And, you know, during high school, I did a bit of poetry. But, you know, you had to write it for English class. And, you know, I... 
I was like, I was featured in like the, the school papers and stuff like that. And I won awards for it. But again, I just didn't think much of it because I didn't, you know, identify at the time as like a poet. You know, I was, I was good at writing and I've been writing my whole life. And that's probably where I more thought my, you know, where I more thought my calling was for a big portion of my time. I just thought, you know, I was just a writer, you know, your normal, your essays, your novels, you know, I'd write stuff like that. But in particular this year, man, as I've been doing more spiritual work, actually, a lot more like inner work, a lot of trauma healing, things like that. I've actually found that poetry is something that just flows through me. And I remember earlier in the year, I was just, yeah, I was going through some stuff and I was just, yeah, a lot of internal changes and a poem just flowed out of me around service. And I didn't really second guess. I didn't really judge it. I was just like, okay, something's coming through me. I'm just going to write it down. And dude, after that, I did like a poem a day for like about two months. So like 50, 60 poems. And then I've just been writing kind of ever since. And it's just really, really just become such a huge part of my life, man. Because it really weaves into how I run my businesses now. It's what I do for clients now. Like how I actually see business, how I articulate, you know, even just my general philosophies in life. And so it's just become such a big part of my life now where, you know, I, I wouldn't even self-identify as a poet. It's just like poetry is just part of who I am. It's just an expression of my soul, man. So, you know, that's that's kind of what got me into it. It's It's been on the back um, of a lot of inner spiritual work, which has just kind of revealed my inner creativity. And that's just been flowing through me, man. So have you been writing, whether it's uh, regularly or inconsistent, poetry i know you mentioned high school and always being a good writer have you always been writing poetry and you know now you know earlier this year you decided that hey i'm going to be more intentional with it because i you know what i noticed about you when i was getting to know more about you is uh intentionality is very important to you um words matter to you so, but as far as like poetry and you writing, has it always been this, well, maybe not this way that it is right now, but have you always been writing poetry and gotten to this point? Yeah, man. In terms of intentionality, this year is probably when I've taken it seriously. You know, it's always been kind of off and on. I write things here and there, but this is, this is the first time in my life where I'm like, no, 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 there is no other way than just what my poetry is speaking through me. And for me now, poetry is literally a modality for me to communicate, right? Like it literally is kind of like a language. So in the same way I speak English every day, it's like I kind of speak poetry every day. You know, that might sound a little bit cliche, a little bit wankery, but it's not like that for me. It's just more like, yeah, every morning I'm just writing, you know, I'm just writing poem. Like even in my business, when I'm speaking to my teams, I'm like, I'm speaking, like it's hilarious because even over, over the last few months, it's like, I, it's almost like I'm speaking in rhymes as a default and I don't really mean to do it. I just start catching myself out and I'm like, oh, that's just kind of flowing through me. And so, yeah, poetry is actually just becoming like a default for me. It's kind of like my, in my DNA now, it's kind of threaded through who I actually am and how I just express myself. So, you know, in some ways I've never ever written with this level of intentionality, but even in, in crazy ways, man, it's like the way I write now or the way I kind of experience poetry, it's, it's, it's something that's happening in my subconscious now. It's not even something that I'm consciously going out and say, you know, this time of the day, I have to write X, Y, Z. I do have that level of discipline and structure in terms of how I go about my writing. But it's even like, there's just a beautiful serendipity that poetry just weaves itself through, you know, my interactions with people. I'll be speaking to somebody and then, you know, there'll be a nice little phrase or a nice little hook. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's beautiful alliteration. And that might inspire some creativity, you know, another day where I write something around that. So, you know, it's, it's, it's almost like I've taken my glasses off where all I see around now are the colors of poetry. And so I kind of find it hard not to go about my day to day. I was literally, you know, I was just at the market this morning 
uh, before before this podcast. And even just my walk home, like I was literally just freestyling some spoken word as I'm walking, you know, just random inspiration from walking down the streets, you know, seeing certain colors, seeing certain plants, seeing certain, you know, aspects of nature. And I'm just freestyling on those things. And it's not like, it's just play for me. And so, you know, poetry has really weaved its way through my life. So yeah, it's kind of just my default now, man. So why do you think that is for you? Like, why do you believe that it's, it's, it's poetry as your, as the catalyst to you expressing yourself in the way that you express yourself or is it more of a way for you to get out you know for a lot of creatives for a lot of poets you know they use poetry or poetry is the way to release all of these frustrations all of these emotions is poetry that way for you is poetry the way or is it more of this is um, I'm not even using poetry. It's just, it is just what it is. And I consider it poetry. Yeah. Like in terms of my experience of the world, it's like, yeah, this is a big foundation. A lot of the spiritual work that I do or like a lot of the inner work that I do, man, like I don't, I don't actively suppress, suppress parts of me, you know, like that's a really, really uh, conscious choice that I, I choose every day not to suppress parts of me, you know, parts of me that feel dis- different emotions, not feeling like I could be authentic in different areas of my life. That's something I actively choose not to do, right? So, you know, to be clear, what I actively choose to do, man, is just to be congruent through, throughout all my life, to live as my truth. And, you know, it requires a lot of, you know, work to do because there's all these like conditioned stories and programmed, you know, beliefs where, you know, we have to fit in in certain ways or, you know, in the business world, you have to appear in a certain way or in a social situation, you know, quote unquote, you know, for, for the people who aren't watching this as, as video, you can't see me air quoting, but like you have to, right? There is no have to, but there is, there, there is this conditioned environment now that we live in where it's like you feel compelled in order to fit in, in order to, you know, to not feel rejected or anything like that, like a lot of people start to wear masks in different parts of their lives. And for me, poetry is in a way out of that. I've quite literally made active choices and conscious decisions in my life and the way I live my life to to not live from that place, not live from a place of, um, you know, insincerity, trying to always be my truth, trying to always speak truth, try to always, you know, just be candid with like compassion and candid with like also be radically candid as well. And so, you know, as an extension of that, when I start to live from that place of authenticity and congruency, then poetry is something that just then flows flows through me. So poetry isn't a means for, for me to express something I'm not expressing. Poetry is just a means for me to express full stop. And so when I'm living my life from a place where, you know, actively every day i try to just always be expressive and always be authentic well then if poetry is actually my means of just general expression then it makes sense then why poetry is just how i go about expressing myself on a day-to-day so it's not like for me there isn't you know there isn't this delineation between you know i'm a poet where i just speak you know speak my truth and i articulate my emotions and then i'm me and you know quote unquote the real world it's like no 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 they're the exact same thing for me so that's why poetry is consistent with how I even interact in a business meeting or how I interact with my team or how I interact with my friends or my family or anything. Like because it's weaved through my actual expression of who I am, then if I'm trying to live as just who I am all the time, then it makes sense that poetry as a natural extension of who I am permeates everything that I do. All right. So you mentioned you mentioned it being part of your DNA. So are, do you believe that it's always been that way? So when you reflect on your life and how you grew up and 
the the way you perceived things when you were younger i mean has poetry always been there you know has that just always been the way that you are yeah man yeah my my experience of the world now is that the answer is yes but the distinction there is i don't think i always heard it so it's always been my voice i've just never listened yeah. I wouldn't say never, but it's been rare for me to listen to the level of, you know, attention and presence that I give it now. You, you're talking about the intentionality of how you do things, expressing yourself and not allowing different. Well, you didn't mention this, at least not yet, but not allowing how you feel to define who you are. I, I think a, a, an example that you gave is. I am not afraid. I am James or, or something similar mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. to, to, to that. Um, so I, I do want to get into that because I think that it was interesting when I, when I would hear you talk about that and how it, it doesn't sound like it's always been that way for you. I want to talk about just a little bit, um, the spiritual fight club. I, I, I've sure, heard man. you talk about that before. Was that the, um, I don't know how how deep you want to get into it, but you've mentioned that there that there was an experience that you had earlier this year or maybe late last year where you felt unfulfilled. You felt like, you know, I've been successful in these different areas and I'm, you know, by society standards, I'm supposed to feel a certain type of way. I'm, you know, I'm supposed to have these different emotions, but, but I don't. Ultimately, you know, these things don't make me, but who am I? Like, I feel I'm not satisfied. There's something missing. Is that where the Spiritual Fight Club came into being, where you were looking for that fulfillment or how to get there? Can you can you talk about that a little bit? Because I found that very interesting and intriguing. Yeah, for sure, man. So, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy how the universe works. It was like serendipity that was delivered to me. But yeah, October last year, I uh, went through, you know, my own mental health challenges where, yeah, as you kind of alluded to, I reached what I thought was, you know, the peaks of my life. You know, I, I ticked all the boxes that, you know, society had taught me and that I'd listened to that I thought I needed to tick, right? You know, whether it was material success, status, you know, some form of, you know, quote unquote notoriety. And these are all on relative scales, right? But yeah, there was just a part of me that still felt really unfulfilled. And so, you know, that kind of culminated to a point last year, yeah, where it was kind of my proverbial rock bottom. And, you know, I then started working with counselors. I started working with, you know, um, coaches and, you know, all these different people, um, all these different practitioners and everything like that, man. And, you know, one of my, one of my now very, very close friends like he was running what was uh, what is now Spiritual Fight Club. He was running that organization at the time. And so, you know, I, I volunteer there and I'm, you know, a big part of what they're trying to push forwards and what we're trying to push forwards, I really resonate with on a deep level, man. And so, you know, what Spiritual Fight Club really stand for is around like generational light, healing broken masculinity, but ultimately just he- healing generational trauma. Right. And so that's a really big mission that, you know, I feel deeply about and why, you know, it's, it means a lot and it's really meaningful to me to really powerfully serve, um, with Spiritual Fight Club. But, you know, beneath it all, man, like what happens there was like, yeah, I just trusted my mate. Yeah. My mate was just there, a really, really amazing friend. And he's like, Hey, dude, we do like some kind of like trauma healing, uh, practices, all this stuff. Like if you're open to it, you know, come along. 
And I did. And I just trusted him, man. And it really fucking changed my life, dude. Like the technology that we, you know, we call it a technology because it's an innovation, right? It's an innovation in yeah, consciousness. Yeah, yeah, and so, yeah. you know, what, what we do at Spiritual Fight Club, man, is it's genuinely something that hasn't hasn't been done before because you know i've been around in terms of the self-improvement self-development spaces for a very very long time i've done a lot of the spiritual practices you know i did cold showers you know bar no days off for five years straight like quite literally every single day you know i didn't touch hot water for five years man um yeah so it's like i've done a lot of those different practices i've done a lot of meditation i've done a lot of that stuff man but profundity of the the visceral felt experience of what we do with spiritual fight club man is 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 like no other and so yeah the whole the whole base plate beneath it all and the whole foundation beneath it all man is just to recognize number one that you're not your emotions right to to create that distance and space from it so it's kind of the the anecdote you were alluding to before as well it's like when someone says, you know, I'm angry, well, you're not. Like if I said I'm angry, I'm not, I'm James. You know, my name is not angry. But even if you start right. to yeah, go a little bit more granular than that, man, it's like, yeah, it's there's actually a part of you that feels angry. There's not a part of you that is angry either. It's just a part of you that feels angry. And so when you can create that separation from your emotions, you actually create that distance, right? And so you hear like in a lot of like Buddhist philosophies, you hear this idea of like attachment is suffering, right? So when you can free yourself from attachment, you're able to liberate yourself from suffering. And so when you really think about that, man, it's like, you know, when you're really holding on or when you think and you're associated with the parts of you that are feeling a certain emotion, like you're deeply attached to that emotion, right? But when you start to create that separation, man, then you understand that you're Mike and you have parts of you that feel a certain way. You know, they might, parts of you might feel anxious, parts of you might feel sad, parts of you might feel angry, whatever it is. But the only reason they feel that way, man, is because they're actually trying to protect you. Because if you go back to, you know, different times when you were growing up, man, whether it's capital T or lower T trauma, your consciousness experienced uh, what's it's kind of referred to as kind of like a breaking, like as, as a protection uh, mechanism, right? So what happens, man, is like when you're really young, for instance, and, you know, maybe you're in the schoolyard and somebody teases you. It could be about, you know, something you're wearing or how you look or something you say. Well, as a little boy or a little girl, you really internalize that, man. And that actually becomes really terrifying because, you know, as a little boy, like I didn't want to experience embarrassment, for instance, because embarrassment meant rejection. And so, right. you know, when you really, yeah. when you really take it back to that level, man, as a little boy, my little boy experienced some form of trauma, let's say. So he learned that, you know, let's take an example of, you know, he wore something uh, that was, you know, really outlandish, like a really different color from everybody else, right? And so, yeah, f- for him, he learned that wearing a different color clothes, for instance, that really stood out from everybody else. And if he got teased for that, well, he learned, well, being himself... Wearing something that just he wanted to wear meant that he got teased or he felt embarrassed or he got rejected from, you know, his social group at the time. For any, yeah. for any little kid, man, like no one wants that, right? And so what, right. what as a little boy that, that, um, that I then learn is that being myself then, quote unquote, leads to rejection. So what happens? Well, a part of me then will start to develop as a way to protect myself from feeling rejected. So what does that mean? Well, every time that I want to be myself, that part of me says, no, no, no. Remember when you were a little kid and you were yourself and you wore a different, like, a different color hat or something and you got teased? Well, let's not do that again. 
And so that part of me, man, actually protects me by feeling certain emotions to change my behavior, right? And so what happens, man, is that really in today's day and age, there are just so many people living in a little boy or a teenage consciousness in an adult person's body, right? And that's why there is, that is why there is like so much trauma that gets perpetuated because you have little boys as fathers raising literal little boys, or you have teenagers as, you know, politicians or teenagers as leaders of companies or organizations that are leading other people, right? And so you just think about the consciousness of a little boy or a teenager. They're not necessarily looking out for everybody's best interest, right? Because they're protecting their own trauma. And so the real idea behind all of this, man, is when you're able to heal your own trauma, right? And the way you heal your trauma is to feel your trauma, right? And it's so this idea of presenting unconditional love to the parts of you that have always, that's always what they've always wanted, man. Because those, those like different parts of your consciousness have always just been there, man, to protect you because they fucking love you, man. And so the thing is, when you can actually build relationships with the different parts of you, that's when it absolutely and fundamentally changes your experience of the world. Because you no longer walk through your life associated with your different parts. You know, you're no longer your Mr. Angry. You're no longer your Mr. Anxious. You're just Mike or James who is able to see and feel their Mr. Anxious or feel their Mr. Angry and build a relationship with these parts, man. And when you build a relationship with these parts, that's when everything fundamentally changes because you're able to return home to what I assert and what, you know, like a lot of the a lot of people who are deep in spirituality and a lot of ancient texts, what they assert is like beneath it all, man, we are just unconditional love and that essence. So when you're able to presence unconditional love to all your parts, you're actually able to return home to the place that you always started from, which is the place of unconditional love. And so, yeah, man, that's that's where Spiritual Fight Club has just become such a significant part of my life, man. And what the, the work is, you know, quote unquote, the work has really changed my life, has changed so many people's lives in uh, yeah in my life, in my circle. Um, yeah, it's been it's been incredible, man. And, you know, What's crazy is that that journey has really coincided with my journey with poetry because the more I've come back to you know my heart, the more I've come back to a place of just genuine authenticity. And this is what I was saying before, man. When I actually return home to a place of genuine authenticity and I live from that self-expression, right? That self-expression that isn't filtered by different parts of me that are trying to protect me. Well, that's when, that's when my poetry actually flows most freely through me, right? Um, you know, those rhymes unintended there. Um, right, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's my experience of the world, man. Because, you know, one of, I actually have a poem on this as well, but like just one of the ideas, man, is that, you know, I've never previously identified as like a creative or an artist or anything like that. But, you know, my experience of the world now is that I actually think everybody's an artist. They just haven't found their, their medium of art, right? Or modality of art. And so, you know, when you, when you hear from, you know, famous painters or you hear from musicians or you hear from any other, you know, quote unquote artists, they talk about this idea that sometimes, you know, the lyrics will just flow through them or the painting or the art will just flow through them and they just paint it, right? They're in a, they're in a deep flow state. They're in a deep immersive experience where it's, it's no longer something they consciously think about. It's just something that subconsciously flows through them, man. And so my experience of that is actually that, you know, when your, let's call it your channel is clear, when you have a clear channel, that actually allows more of source, more of love, more of creativity, all being, you know, interchangeable semantics. That's, that's when that creative energy actually flows through you, man. And when that actually flows through you, that's what I believe is 
the real catalyst is the real source for all my poetry, just because poetry is my medium of expression for creativity, right? But somebody else's might be dancing, dude. Somebody else's might be painting. Somebody else might be singing. You know, I actually think business is a deeply creative, is a, is an artistic pursuit, right? You have mm-hmm. an industry, you have a market that is a blank canvas and you create something on that. You know, some people might be cooking. Whatever somebody's creative outlet is and their means to create art, like I really think is one of the most beautiful experiences, not only for that person to be in that deep immersive flow state, but also for the people around them, for the world. If we can all live from a place where we're deeply authentic and just creating from a place of unconditional love, I assert is one of the base plates, is one of the prerequisites for us to actually heal not only a society of broken masculinity, but as a society that is underpinned by so much angst, so much division, so much you know conflict, because really underneath it all is just so much trauma. So you would say then that the poetry that you write or that is produced is a reflection of who you genuinely are, who you are, and... And that was because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially because you were able to reconnect with who you were uh, as a person, just coming from a, a, a perspective or, or perspective of love by uh, reconnecting with uh, the little boy or the teenager in you and healing the poetry that flows out of you isn't necessarily a, a a a method or a medium to express whatever it is that you're thinking or you're feeling is just a reflection of who you are yeah man just just the last bit it is definitely a way that i express what i'm thinking and what i'm feeling um but that is who i am you know that is who you are right yeah 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 so like you. yeah that that quite literally is yeah, how I how I live my life, man. But I, I more mean that, you know, it's not that, yeah, it isn't the chick. It's, it's kind of like a chicken or the egg, man, but it hasn't been like poetry right. has allowed me more to become myself. It's the more I've become myself, the more poetry that's come through me. And I was going to mention that, like, you know, because that, I know it's a, it's a subtle difference, but it's a significant one at the same time, right? Because like you said, you don't write poetry to become more of who you are, right? The poetry is a result of who, of who you are. Um, and yeah. And, and then just a, a quick follow up about that unfulfillment. So when you went through the process of um, reconnection, did that provide the fulfillment? Was the unfulfillment uh, absence of connection with who you were and so the process of reconnection provided that fulfillment or did the process of reconnection and being more introspective then allow you to discover or embrace whatever fulfillment was or is yeah great question man so one thing I would really invite your listeners to consider is consider that we've always been fulfilled. We've just forgotten it Mm. because Mm. everything that, you know, a part of me thought I needed to be quote unquote fulfilled, you know, he got, you know, he spent, I spent, no, he spent that part of me spent a big part of my life and I was associated with that part of me. I spent a big part of my life, man trying to tick the boxes outside, get a lot of extrinsic rewards, get a lot of external validation, get a lot of, you know, all the things on the outside world, 
the more things we just get, I, you know, that part of me just kept on trying to tick off, tick off, tick off, tick off, got to a point where he's like, all right, well, I've ticked off all those things. Now what? And that's kind of what happened, man. This last year, it was like, okay, I've ticked off all those things at a young age. That's what I thought I wanted, but now what? And so really the whole journey since then, man, has been realizing that everything that that part of me has been looking for outside, I'd I'd always already had it, man. Mm -hmm. Because I wasn't looking for external things. I was looking for what those external things might help me feel enough, Mm. loved, worthy. That's what I hoped. That's what that part of me, man, so deeply fucking hoped that, you know, once he got in X number of papers, once he was on X number of TV shows, once he made X X amount of dollars, right? That then he would feel enough, worthy, loved, accepted, whatever the long laundry list is, man. And a lot of this experience, dude, has been about building relationships with these different parts of my consciousness. Because when, you know, it it took me a lot of work to get to that point or get to this point, but it's like when I have conversations with my little boy, man, when I have conversations with, you know, literally my different parts, you know, Mr. Anger or Mr. Overachiever or, you know, have conversations with my teen's consciousness. What they reflect back to me, man, is that really beneath it all, they've just really fucking missed me. And this angst that that, those parts of me felt last year, man, was because they just didn't trust that they could have safety with me. And so, you know, the whole adage of you can't can't fall in love with somebody until you understand, or you can't really truly love somebody until you love yourself, man. Right. But beneath that cliche, what it actually means, Mm -hmm. man, and, and this is the distinction I love to live by now. It's like everybody talks about falling in love, right? But my assertion is that we shouldn't, you shouldn't be looking for someone to fall in love with. You should be looking for someone to live in love with. And what I mean mm. by that, man, is that if you... So I live in Melbourne, Australia, right? If you and I were to live in Melbourne together, then I would first need to be in Melbourne. And then you would also then come to Melbourne and be in Melbourne, right? Right. That's the yeah. only way we yeah. can be in Melbourne together. Now, let's take love as an essence. Let's take it as a state, right? For us to be in love, the essence and the state together, it requires one of us first to be in love ourselves. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, man, that's the paradigm that's really important to shift is that consider that we've all actually always been in love. We live in love. That's what we're born into as a kid. We're born in unconditional love, man. And so this whole journey, this whole mission we're on at Spiritual Fight Club, and then, you know, we, we, we work with women as well in a different part of, uh, like a different division of the organization, man. What we're doing with all people is just reminding them that they've always been there already, man. And it's yeah. just, it's the coming home. It's not the going outwards, it's the going inwards. It's the returning inwards, man. Because when people realize and can live in love themselves, when they can love all their parts, their parts truly unconditional love them, man. That's the only place I assert you can ever truly be in love with somebody else. Because if you're not first in love, how the hell can you invite somebody else in? And I think it's I that agree distinction. With that. Yeah, and it's interesting that you that you that you say that because earlier you you talked about 
Or you gave the example of wearing a hat that, like, you know, let's say it's multicolored or, or yeah, a shirt that, is, right, yeah, right, yeah or, 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 or a shirt that is really loud and, and, and color and it's different from everyone else, right? You, you feel alone, you feel ashamed because, you know, you're not falling in line. You're not like mm-hmm. everyone, everyone else. And so we, we tend to not want to be so for example in love first like be in that place by our by ourselves and and so when we, when you mention like falling in love with someone it's almost like well I'm not going to do this by myself cuz I don't want to be alone so I need this other person in order for me to get to this place where I need to be already or where I already am and I've forgotten what it's like to be here or I'm afraid to be here. I'm not going to do it unless you do it with me. Right. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to this place because I don't want to be alone. It's like, and I was telling my friend this actually uh, not too long ago, I was saying how, when, you know, people are expressing to someone else, how they feel rather than, just expressing how, and I don't want to say just, I don't want to minimize it, but instead of expressing how you feel about this person, because this is how they feel about this person, they say it with the expectation or the hope to hear it back because they don't want to be there by themselves. Right. So, and so I say that because Again, it kind of goes back to what you were saying before about being yourself, being not afraid to to stand alone in your truth, being being who you are. Enough yeah, about man. that. I, I, just oh, on that, yeah, just on that, man. Thank you for the anecdote. Like, you know, in my world, in my experience of it, that's just a part of that person, right? So, a part of that person doesn't want to say it and not hear it back, right? Because yeah. a p- part of that person is is scared of being alone, yeah. right? And, and the only reason that part is scared of being alone is that part hasn't felt, you know, let's, let's we call it, you know, the king in a kingdom or a queen in a queendom. But that, that person hasn't, let's call it the adults, you know, hasn't hurt, felt Mike or hasn't felt James, you know, be there for that part of them unconditionally. So that's why they're really scared to be alone because they actually, that part of them truly believes there is such thing as being alone. But when you truly live from love, when you truly live in love unconditionally for all your parts, man, your parts will never feel like they're alone because they always have you. Mm. And that's the distinction, man. And so... So they don't necessarily need the acceptance from another person, right? They don't need or, or, or have to have that you know, because I think some people rely on other people to feel love, right? That they won't, that they truly don't love who they are. They rely on someone else to yeah. love them. Yeah, and when you re- and when you really get deconstruct what well, like people's views of love or my experience of love, man, it's like, yeah, love is very different from attachment. And to need somebody else, that's to be to atta- to be attached to them. Right. Mm -hmm. When you Mm -hmm. truly love somebody else, you choose them. You don't need them, but you choose to potentially build a life with them. Right. You choose anything like that. But even with a child, right, 
You love them, so you're going to do what's best for them. So true love is to serve. True love is to do what's in the best interest of the other person. You know, the, the cliche, if you really love somebody, you'll let them go. But the only reason that would be so, like, again, I was going to start rhyming, but the only reason that, you know, would be true, man, is because you, you love them so much, you want what's best for them. And if that meant them being with someone else, if that meant them not being with you, well, to truly love that person is to let them go, man. It's a selfless type yes. of love rather than a selfish type of love, which is a type of love that we all, well, not all, but but a lot of us live in. It's, a, it's more selfish I would assert that's selfless. not love. I would assert, mm. like, that's a paradox, right? Like, you can't have selfish love. That's not love to me. Because love mm. only, lo- it's not. it's not like, it's, love isn't like a color where there's like, oh, there's different shades of red. In my world, right. I know in, I, I know in different like, and so this is, this is again where language can be limited because I know in, yeah. you know, um, in Greek, like there's multiple different types of love, right? Um, yeah. Like different words for love in Spanish, yeah, multiple right. words for love. In English, we only have one word. But when I speak about love, what I'm, what I am, what I'm speaking about is the idea of unconditional love, like the deepest love inside all of us, right? And that's mm. what I assert can't be selfish. That, I guess the word would be the agape love, right? That, that, yeah, that's that, exactly uh, right, man. Yeah, that, that agape love. Got you, got you. All right. So I know our time is limited, so I want to I uh, just uh, move on just uh, um, in, into other fascinating aspects about you. So um, as I mentioned earlier, you are uh, an entrepreneur and you have been for a while since you were like 17 years old, man. Like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> talk about that. Like what is... Did, were you raised to have more of an entrepreneurial type of mindset or personality? Um, how how did that happen at 17? Yeah, totally, man. So I think it's kind of always been in my kind of, let's call it like blueprint. You know, I think where it really comes down, uh, what it comes down to and where it comes from is like, you know, my parents um, came over from Vietnam. Um, you know, we didn't grow up necessarily with a ton of money or anything. And so, you know, I just got instilled with a shit ton of work ethic and the values of like discipline, diligence, like grit, right? And so like, I just had that work ethic imbued into me at a really, really young age, man. And, you know, finance and financial security has always been a currency for safety, right? And so, you know, material, let's call it quote unquote material success, academic success has always been a currency um, you know, growing up, coming from an East Asian background that was used in, to exchange for not only just like value and validation and stuff like that, but like when we really deconstruct the consciousness of my parents, it comes from a literal place of safety, right? Because when you come over and, you know, immigrating from Vietnam, not having anything, then literally being able to survive relied and was predicated on your ability to create some level of financial sustenance. And so that was really, yeah, that was... That was something that was deep in my psyche growing up. And I think, you know, I always had ambitions of not wanting to replicate, uh, yeah, not wanting to have to go through, you know, the same suffering. And it's really my parents because they gave me every fucking opportunity I could have ever asked for, man. And I have just the deepest gratitude for my family because I have the fucking best family. But it was, it was a really big part of me, man. Like just a part of me just wanted, was, wanted to overcompensate and, you know, build a level of financial security, that was one aspect of what, you know, really attracted to me to like always growing up, you know, wanting to make money all these different ways. But, you know, as I started to really feel through it, man, like 
I was actually doing a lot of entrepreneurial things just for fun. Like it was actually just really fun for me growing up as well. So a part of me absolutely saw other successful entrepreneurs on, you know, Forbes list and all these things. And I was like, okay, now I want to build that level of financial security for my family, you know, my immediate family, then also the family I'll start and then my future generations. Like that was a big, um, you know, big motive for, for big parts of my life, man. But then it was also when I really reflect back, man, I just, I liked doing entrepreneurial things. Like I just liked the game of business. And so that's when I was speaking about before business actually being creative and actually being art. And I remember when I was like, like 10, 11, um, like you guys would have like um, baseball cards or, you know, basketball cards or anything like that. We had like football cards, like Australian rules football. I remember, man, like just love trading football cards. And I remember starting with like one one card um, that my friend just gave me for free and I traded it around the playground and I got the whole set. And we're talking about hundreds and hundreds off one card, right? And so (laughs) when I think back to it, man, it was just this idea of supply and demand from when I was like, yeah, when I was really, really, really young in primary school. And that kind of just cascaded, man, into, you know, what I would always find myself thinking about. And I'd always find myself thinking about, you know, different ventures or different projects. And I'd always just want to start them. And yeah, at 17, I remember starting a tutoring company where I got, you know, because like I was quite academic um, in my school. And so a lot of my friends in one, it was a weird intersection because I was academic, but I also loved sport. So I kind of had like, um, yeah, fragmented friendship groups in that sense. But my really academic friends, man, like, yeah, we, we did. Uh, our final subjects or our most senior subjects early and so you know i got all my smart friends together and created um and we would shoot at people from other schools right and then you know i would (laughs) i would essentially like find the right students and then match them up with the tutors and then i would take a cut from like all of that stuff man and that was at like 17 um and i was doing that while i was in school just because i found it really fun and it was just really interesting to me And then pretty much I got to uni and I was just like tinkering around with all these different entrepreneurial ventures. And yeah, I got to a stage where I, I originally wanted to be an investment banker and that was for the same reason for like financial security. Like at the time, part of me thought like that's where I was supposed to be if I was like quote unquote successful. Then I just realized I didn't actually enjoy any of that. And so I decided, no, I'm not going to do that. And you know, at the time uh, startups are really starting to become a craze. And so I just got deep into that space and I've never worked for anybody else. I've literally just started my own businesses. Um, yeah, from 17 and that's kind of been my life, man. And so, you know, where I'm at now, I've, you know, I was fortunate enough to have, you know, some business success when I was in my early twenties and I just ticked off those boxes. And then I was like, Oh, and then I got to the, then what question again? That's, it was kind of that on repeat, right? It was just like, you do something new, the goalpost moves. You do something new, the goalpost moves. You do something new, the goalpost moves. And so then I was like, okay, you know what? What? What am I actually drawn to? Like, what do I actually care about? So now the sorts of businesses I create are really based on you know missions that I feel really aligned with, things that I really feel deeply connected with, right? Whether it's Spiritual Fight Club, whether it's what I do, you know, with media and creating really artistic content, whether it's you know what I'm doing with poetry now. You know, these things for me is something now that is really authentic to my soul and really congruent with who I actually am. And so this is now what I like to use my entrepreneurial skills for is to build things that don't yet exist in areas and uh, in areas of life that I think really need it and for missions that I really think need to be pushed forward. So talk about how you are able to connect you mentioned, you know, of course, poetry is a, a way, a creative way to express yourself. And uh, you talked about 
how uh, business is another creative aspect. How do you merge those two together? Yeah, cool, man. Uh, yeah, th- this is a question that does get asked a lot because, yeah, it's 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 a unique intersection, right? And what I like about what I like about that man is because it is a unique intersection because it's my intersection. It's probably the most authentic expression of who I am because I I love business. I love the game of entrepreneurship. I love building new things that don't exist yet, and I love poetry and I really fucking do and I love them both and so you know for me in the same way that every single person if they really double down to what is authentically and uniquely them then they're one of one right there's no other Mike there's no other James in the exact way that we are right and in the exact way that we we are drawn to things or we have experiences and, and different skills and all these things man and so for me poetry again is a form of expression and communication and so, mm-hmm. you know, one, one thing that I really think is beneath a lot of, um, you know, whether you want to call it art, whether you want to call it, you know, uh, you know, literature, anything like that. I don't think there is that many truly new novel truths, right? If you look at a lot of New York Times bestsellers now, man, you know, they're repackaging ancient wisdom, right? But they're saying it in a way that is today accessible, today resonant with the sorts of audiences that buy these books. But the truths and the wisdom are timeless, and so for me, poetry is just another means and modality of expression and something that is really unique to me. And so when people hear my poetry, they feel that it's unique to me because it's, it's, it's not put on, man. It's just, it's just literally a raw expression of who I am and who my soul is and what I feel. And so, you know, poetry is actually a means that I can communicate other concepts and other lessons that I think are really worthwhile learning. And in one of the areas of my life that I'm really passionate about is business. So when I'm speak, when I'm writing poetry about different media outlets, or when I'm writing poetry more so about different like principles behind why media um, should be changed, or when I'm writing poetry when I'm case studying or profiling different companies, man, I love those companies. I love business, right? But I'm speaking about it in a way that is uniquely me. So when people hear my poetry, they're like, "Oh, I've never heard a case study on Tesla through spoken word poetry." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's like yeah. fundamentally unique. A lot of people have written case studies. A lot of people have written articles. Previously in my life, I've written articles about big companies and all this stuff and interviewed their founders and done all of that stuff, man, right? And, you know, I have the deepest respect for for, for writers, man, because I spend a lot of my time writing. And some people, you know, are just beautiful writers. But for me, it's just another level of uniqueness and authenticity that I'm bringing to what what I'm doing is that how many people have spoken about the things I'm speaking about who care about the things that I care about to the degree to which I care about them and are speaking about it in poetry. And for me, again, it's, it's, it's not some marketing gimmick. It's nothing like that because even if nobody listened to it, I would still be writing it, right? And so that's why I know, and that for me is, is one of the litmus tests that I know this is just an authentic expression of who I am. And so, yeah, man, poetry around business, it's literally me just speaking about business. But the way that I speak now, I speak through poetry. Do you remember the first time that you performed? Oh, I performed it to I performed it to friends and family. Um, I think I re- yeah I remember the first time I performed it to my family. I don't think this was my first time. I remember performing it to my sisters, who are my fucking best friends. Um, but they hadn't really heard me write poetry outside, like when I was growing up or any any of those contexts. And so I was like to them, "Oh yeah, I've been writing some like poetry, and I, I'm really into it. Like um, yeah." 
I read it to somebody who was a spoken word artist in the US and he said it was actually really great. And I was like, oh, I didn't really know it was. I was just reading it. And I was like, can I read some to you? And they're like, yeah, fucking of course. And I read it to them and I remember their reactions still to this day make me laugh. And they were just like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> they were like, you wrote that? I was like, yeah, I guess I did. And they're like, what? I was like, and they were just so shocked, man. And that was hilarious to me because, yeah, because I had never really identified as like a spoken word um, poet or anything like that. And, you know, they hadn't heard me read poetry since I was a teenager. Well, I don't even know if in, in then, probably it was more since I was like a little kid. And so, yeah, they were just really shocked and blown away. And yeah, that was, it was really cool because it was just like a dynamic I haven't really had with them where they're like, oh, because yeah, we have the relationship where we'll banter a lot and we'll give each other a lot of shit. But they were like, oh no, dude, that's actually fucking legit. And mm. I was like, oh, because they're normally my hardest critics, like in, in a really loving, beautiful way, but like they're always right. real with yeah. me. Yeah. And when they were like, dude, what the fuck? That's actually, yeah, that's not that. And I remember their exact words was, don't take offense to this, but that was so much better than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, man, that was fucking hilarious. And I remember reading it to my friends who, again, like nobody's really known me as a spoken word artist or spoken word poet. And I just remember reading it to them and then like just my friends now. And, and yeah, everybody kind of just being like, oh, I never knew you were into it in this way. And so, um, yeah, man. It's, it's been a really beautiful experience and, and now for me, it just feels as true as anything else in my life and it's something that I'll just continue to do. Um, yeah, I just can't stop rhyming. I was just I always want to just finish my sentences with rhymes. But yeah, man, it's yeah. just something that's a part of me now. Awesome, awesome. All right, so I know that you are going to share a couple pieces of your work um, and I'm excited uh, to hear them. Um, I've heard you uh, share your work prior to this and so yeah i'm looking forward to hearing what you have to have to share so what i'm going to do i'm going to step off this virtual stage and allow you to uh show your work oh man thank you so much cool i'm gonna read two um yeah the first i haven't read on any other podcast so you know <laughs> exclusive i like it yeah. it goes live on this one i've done it on a, uh, at an open mic before but this is called Congruency Fluency. I want to be the same wherever I go. But there's something always in the way of that being so. If I go slow, like really slow, I already know why there's always versions of me that are foe. It's because I'm scared of losing face. In all my relationships, the face that I place in that space, a mask I replace to chase the acceptance race from all my relationships where I'm really just scared to embrace my honest face. But from where does that even start? The fear so deep within me that viscerally it won't depart. When pulled apart, picked apart, it comes down to a broken heart, not from withheld love, but from love that never got a start. Because to start requires an invitation. To be accepted into the conversation. Not as an aberration, but as an emotion that des deserves celebration. And love for me never received that designation and thus avoided any such integration. So back to the idea of congruency. Imbued within the word is a perpetual fluency. Of honesty, consistency and truancy. Because who we are is who we always are. See? It's not hard to understand what it means to be consistent. 
feeling into it, there's actually nothing else that is existent. Because at our core, we just are us. But sometimes we put that at a distance. So persistent and resistant to make ourselves consistent. Because to be ourselves all the time opens us up to reality. The brutality of our emotional fatality becoming an actuality. Because being ourselves in our totality without any conditionality means our truest personality, our individuality, will henceforth have immortality. Translated, it means being ourselves means we can be rejected. Experience the social situations simulating us being disconnected. Dejected, ejected and neglected from the circles we have elected to be our circles of safety. The ones where we feel most projected. So as a result, we choose to preference inclusion. We choose to personally perpetuate our particular illusion of who we are in social situations because we think that's the solution to the confusion of why all we feel is disillusion. But trying to fit in by always changing is to try to fit in by always exchanging. Not materialistically, but spiritually rearranging our truest selves, which honestly we know is forever ourselves shortchanging because to achieve fluency of who we are we must embrace truth as our only north star and pursue it relentlessly as the base for our emotional repertoire this is the bar we must hold ourselves to this must become our new avatar and on the other side of that we will be free to see that we have the autonomy to choose with whom we agree to align ourselves, to surround ourselves, to allow us just to be. Because that's our destination. True congruence, fluency. Question. So with your uh, journey to fulfillment or rediscovering what fulfillment is or, you know, the feeling of fulfillment, did the definition of vulnerability change for you? Yeah, man, for sure. What I previously thought was vulnerable was not even scratching the surface of it. Mm. Yeah, man. What I previously thought was vulnerable was a part of me creating a matrix to speak about being vulnerable as a way of protecting himself from actually being vulnerable. So yeah, man, vulnerability for me is actually just feeling, just it's, it's authentic expression. What's, what's coming up for my parts to be vulnerable is to truly honor what they have to say and with the people around me. But does that, you know, for a lot of people, vulnerability also includes fear. Does that, is that part of, is that part of the dynamic for you now? For sure, man. Like fear is just another emotion, right? And another emotion is just a part of me. So like the whole gamut of emotions are welcome and that's true vulnerability, man. So it's like if, you know. We call it, we, we, we delineate them based on, you know, call them misters or misses or, you know, but for me, um, yeah, it's like, yeah, my Mr. Fear, like he's welcome. My Mr. Angry, he's welcome. My Mr. Anxious, he's welcome. My Mr. Joy, he's also welcome. And so it's the delineation here and it's the false dichotomy people see as good and bad emotions because that doesn't exist. That's an illusion. That's a label. You know, that's a narrative and story that's just been given to us. That's not actually true because... Yeah, man, they're just emotions. It's not good or bad. It's mm. non-good, non-bad. They're just emotions. You have you have emotion, a part of you that feels sad, a part of you that feels scared, a part of you that feels happy. They're all part of your consciousness, man. 
And when you treat them any differently, depending on, you know, quote unquote, whether you want them there or not, right. that's what fragments our presence and our consciousness and our peace. Got you. I like that answer. Next time you're here, we need to talk about more. I'll talk about that more. Um, yeah. All right. So, yeah. All right. So I'm going to let you get to your second piece. Uh, let me step back and uh, allow you that space. All right, man. This is a, this is a much shorter one. So in the interest of time, this is going to be a shorter one, but so this is called Broken Vase. It dropped and shattered, parts scattered all on the floor, debris smattered across the decor. What mattered didn't anymore, which leaves me unsure of whether I want to pick up the pieces. I don't know anymore whether I want to restore what feels broken at its core. Did I ignore the debris or explore it to see? Whether what happened happened unapologetically. It doesn't matter right now. Whether the pieces can be put back together. All that matters is I keep it together. And love what happened forever and ever. Because I don't know why the vase was broken. All I know. All I can trust. Is that the universe has indeed just spoken. Nice. Love it, man. I love your work, man. The... The word usage. Love it, man. Okay. Three more questions and then uh, I'll let you go. First question for you is if you could describe yourself in five words on any level, what words would you use, man? Committed. Mm -hmm. Loyal. Mm -hmm. Loving. Okay. Accepting. Hmm. Dedicated. Nice. Uh, and then my second question to you, uh, and of course we'll get this out to everyone, but where can people find you, man, if they want to get to know more about you, hear more of your work? Yeah, man. So JQN Studios dot com is the website but jqn studios across all socials tiktok insta um yeah facebook all of that stuff yeah i'm gonna start i'm just like relaunching everything and we're gonna start going out with some really really fun content um so that's yeah that's where you can find my spoken word stuff um inflection media if you want to check out poems around business uh that's inflection with an x uh dot media or spiritualfightclub.com if you want to see what we do there as well cool man and then finally love to have you back some time to talk um would you ever consider coming back in and hanging out again with us yeah man for sure it was a fun conversation dude and uh yeah we'll we'll figure something out we'll do man listen man i appreciate you coming through and hanging out love talking to you and appreciate the conversation thank you so much for hanging out today thanks mike take care brother yeah Back. 
I cry your tears as you drive and go in the world. Hoping somebody doesn't say he fits the description. Or pull him over just because of the color of his pigment. I sing in your ears, Beyonce caters to you. Looking down at your cover, glossy skin, I see my reflection through. I just always want to keep you comfortable. Ensure that this love is unconditional. If nobody else will accept your prestige and prominence, I wrote your name on my heart. You don't have to ever feel alone. If there's no love out there, you have it at home. I'm here. I'm here. No worries. of therapy be your medicine when your head hurts i just want to hold you in my arms let you know that your whelps are my whelps that invisible ring around your neck that they placed and marked you with i cut to relieve you give you the air to breathe you were a king incubated in the womb precious specially cooked given that flavor of soul food meaning your soul needs to be fed with positivity and generosity the monarch of our kingdom i want to kiss your wounds and give you that spiritual freedom i want to clean your scars yeah Life seems pitiful. Keep your head up because us queens are inviting you to place with no stress, no passive aggressiveness. We want you whole, meaning your mind, body, and soul to have and to hold. Don't let this world take control. I want to be your energy and tranquility, maximum chances of happiness until our clock unticks, shielding you from insecurities, keeping your purified purities. Just want you to relax. Just want you to relax, no worries, just relax. Before I begin, there's something you must understand. Unlike the rest of the poets you've heard so far, I am not some angry black man. 
Those who know me realize that I am not Afrocentric, nor am I militant. When I'm looking for a solution, I won't be crying for no revolution. But see, I heard the truth and dismissed it. Because I tried to remain eternally optimistic, but just missed it. So as I tried to remove the color-coded contact from my third eye, I realized the truth. That despite the multiple levels of human variety, my pigment had labeled me danger to society. But see, my grandfather never had the distinction of virtually driving a race to extinction. From Columbus and Plymouth Rock to Wounded Knee, you drove them to their grave. Stolen other people, stripped the culture, and turned them into slaves. And I don't recall inventing the internal combustion engine that has the ozone throbbing. Nor do I block legislation that could just fix the problem. And I ain't never shed no blood for no oil, nor do I test nukes that cause the ground to spoil. So how come when I walk down the street, you look at me dirty? But the profile of a serial killer is white male in his 30s. And you won't find photographed and framed on my family tree no cold-blooded killers like Manson, Mussolini, Hitler, Kevorkian, Gatling, Guillotine, and Domino. I, I sure as hell didn't invent no atomic hydrogen or nuclear bomber. Night the night on the local news, my reputation's bruised. But who slaughtered all those Jews? Then vaporized those Asian lives because you was about to lose. But, but you clutch your purse when you see me purse on the corner stoop? Does this make sense to you? I think I understand why the sight of me stirs so much fear. It's that generational guilt given to you by your grandfathers. You feel it right here. And it's just sad that your psychology won't allow for a formal apology. Your ignorance has fostered your fear in me, faltering your focus, making you the fool. So damn worried about me, you never see the signs your sees about to shoot up that school or that sanctuary or that concert. You don't see my sisters clutching no purses. You also don't see me burning down no churches. So how come I'm always the victim of the bill of clubs you bewildered? And I ain't blew up no damn government buildings. Y'all remember that day? Flags half staff because of Timothy McVeigh? U.S. Army trained him, by the way. But you clutch your purse when you see me perched on the corner stoop? Does this make sense to you? What about Drew? Charles Drew discovered plasma, which perfected the blood transfusion. But how many times have I bled to death on your hospital steps because you was refusing? It seems your southern hospitality failed when this brother's discovery allowed for the collection and storage of blood on a larger scale. What about Daniel Hale? Daniel Hale Williams? See, this brother's patients didn't need no clergy. First successful open-heart surgery. But when it was time to be tested and treated at Tuskegee, I was neglected. And my airmen, my airmen didn't lose that one damn plane they protected. And what did I get? My baby brother's beautiful brown body battered with bullets because he brandished a BB gun. And I still can't get no cab day or damn night. Then, then the U.S. uses power to tackle those who double towers. But well, what about the Ebony Flower? Am I still three-fifths a man? Who's to avenge me for the terror I suffered at the hands of the Ku Klux Klan? But you must understand, I am not some angry black man. <laughs> Those who know me realize that I am not Afrocentric, nor am I militant. And when I'm looking for a solution, I won't be crying for no revolution. But you clutch your purse when you see me perched on the corner stoop? Does this make sense to you? All right, welcome back. So the first poem that you heard is entitled Be Relaxed, and that was performed by a friend of the podcast, Nikwa B. You can follow Nikwa B on Instagram at Nikwa B, N-I-C-Q-U-A-B. You can also uh, search for Nequal B on Facebook at Nequal B and on YouTube at Nequal B. And or you can listen to our conversation, our exclusive conversation with Nequal B 
Uh, that was back in volume two, chapter four of the podcast. So you can uh, listen to that by visiting the website, ethicallyomoralpodcast.com. And then the second poem that you heard is entitled Purse Clutchers, and that was performed by Christopher Michael. You can follow Christopher on Instagram at Mr. Michael 310 and uh, via Twitter at Mr. Michael 310. And you can visit his website, Mr. Michael 310.com. Again, Mr. Michael 310.com. And of course, if you missed any of the contact information for the performance poets that we featured this week, you can find all of that information in the show notes. Uh, to view the show notes, just visit the website ethicallyomoralpodcast.com and click the uh, click the chapter you would like to get to know. Uh, the show notes for and uh, the information will be there for you to to view. All right. So this music means volume three, chapter number 18 of the podcast has come to an end. But before I leave, before I get out of here, I want to express my thanks and show my appreciation to those who have made this chapter possible. All right. First, I want to thank my guest, James Nguyen, for hanging out with me this week. James, thank you so much for coming through. Thank you for the conversation. Thank you for sharing your story, your journey, uh, your insight, your introspection and your creativity. Looking forward to the next conversation. Now, if you did miss the contact information for James, you can follow him on Instagram at JQN Studios. Again, at JQN Studios on Instagram. You can also visit his website, JQNStudios.com. JQNStudios.com. And if you're interested in the Spiritual Fight Club program that James and I discussed, I encourage you to visit the website spiritualfightclub.com, spiritualfightclub.com to get more information about that. Thank you, James. Also want to thank you, the listener, for hanging out. Appreciate you coming through. Your conscious decision to listen Man, always appreciate your presence and your energy. Make sure that you subscribe to the podcast if you listen via a podcast platform. And while you're there, if you can, make sure that you rate the podcast. And if you're able to, leave a note letting everyone know why you love the podcast as much as you do. And also continue to spread the word about what we do here to your family, your friends, your enemies, and your associates. It's very important. Love you guys. Thank you for listening. And finally, I want to say what's good, what's up, and I'm sorry to my riding tribe, my riding community, the TML riding community. Uh, thank you for the love. Thank you for the encouragement and the support. 
Now, I do say I'm sorry because I uh, forgot to uh, give you guys a shout out the last chapter. Uh, so I appreciate uh, your understanding and uh, there being no negative consequences. <laughs> I love you guys. All right, so that's it. Make sure that you continue to support us by visiting us via social media and our website uh, at Ethically Immoral on Instagram, at The Mecca Lounge on Twitter, at Ethically Immoral Podcast on Facebook, and you can visit our website, ethicallyimmoralpodcast.com. Again, my name is Mike Payne. I'm the host here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for listening. I appreciate you. I love you. And I will check you out next week.